Well, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. We're going to continue our series in 1 Peter this morning. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 22 this morning. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 22. But before we get to that passage, I want to remind all of us, and if you weren't here last week, sort of give a little bit of a introduction to today's message from last week. We were talking about the salvation of our souls. In fact, if you look in verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter states this. He says, you are attaining the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, from God's perspective, the goal of our faith is not simply to believe in Jesus Christ. You and I who have accepted Christ as our personal Savior, we were saved at that moment in time we trusted in Him and in what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary for us. That's the moment of salvation, but the outworking of that decision, the results of that decision are ongoing results that last our entire lifetime. And that's why I share with people all the time, salvation is not the end. It is just the beginning of this wonderful salvation of our souls. And we talked last week, what does that mean, the salvation of our soul? The soul is our God identity. It is who God created us to be. It is his plan and purpose for our existence on this earth. And that begins when I accept Christ as my Savior, but it is worked out over our lifetime. And today what Peter is going to remind us of is that as you and I allow God to work out this salvation, as, as we discover who God created us to be, as we embrace who God created us to be, and as we live out who God created us to be, there will be certain evidences of that. So even last week I said, I think a great title for this passage would be Evidences of a Soul Set Free. Because God wants us to be free in Him. And Jesus said to His followers, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then Jesus went on to say, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So notice then, if you go over to verse 22, I want to start there this morning, that he picks up on this idea of attaining the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls, and then he says this in verse 22, Peter, you have purified your souls by obeying the truth. And I'll get to that second part in just a minute. What's it mean then to purify my soul? Well, the word purify means to basically set something apart. It's a word that is very close to the word for holy in the Bible. It is something that is distinct. It is something that is set apart. It is something that is deemed special. It is something, if you will, that is prioritized. Something very important and significant. So he's saying, you and I prioritize our soul 
by these things. And he starts with obedience to the truth. Now, before again we get to that, though, here's why we need to stop for just a moment. Because though God has saved us and has given us this soul that is who he created us to be, we have some responsibility in working that out, if you will, and, and discovering that, embracing that, and living it out. And so often, as human beings, we make sure that all of our physical comforts and needs are taken care of. And we make sure even that a lot of our emotional needs are taken care of. We, we want to comfort our emotions and, and do all these things to help us emotionally. But so many human beings are neglecting their soul. They're feeding everything else in their life, but not feeding our soul. And we need to make sure, especially then as Christians, who understand this truth that the goal of our faith is the salvation of our soul, not only discovering who God created us to be, but embracing it and living it out, that, that means then that we need to make our soul a priority. Not just our bodies, not just our emotions, but our soul, feeding our soul and prioritizing it. So a question we should ask is, what am I doing in my life to prioritize my soul, to purify it, to remove the distractions and the dilutions that life and this world can bring and really zero in on making my soul and discovering who God created me to be a priority, if not the priority of my life. And then he goes on to say that you and I begin to discover that. We will begin to embrace that we will begin to live that out by, notice these next three words, obeying the truth. You see, there are many Christians today who say, I don't know who God created me to be. Okay, we all started out that way. But my counsel, my advice to you, just as it would be to me, is... Just start being obedient to the things you know God wants you to do. Amen. Don't, don't worry about the things you don't know. Zero in and just be obedient to the things you already know God wants you to do. And it is through the process of obedience, of taking a step every day in obedience to the steps that God himself has laid down for us, in a sense, putting our footprints inside his footprints. Every day you and I do that is a day we will more and more discover who God created us to be. Every day we are obedient is a day we will embrace more and more of who God made us to be. Every time we are obedient to the voice of God and to the leading of his Holy Spirit is a moving forward and making progress to live out who God created me to be. That is the very first evidence of a soul set free, which ties in again with what Jesus said. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. How do we purify our souls? How do we prioritize becoming who God created us to be? Obey the truth. Obey the truth. Obviously, through the living truth, Jesus Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and also through the written truth of God's word. 
the truth that the Holy Spirit will bring to our mind, whatever the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding me to do. Just be obedient. Again, so often, even as Christians, we spend a lot of, of energy on trying to figure out things that God hasn't revealed to us yet or things we want to know but he hasn't chosen to show us yet instead of focusing on the many things we already know he wants us to do and being faithful to those things. We purify our souls by obeying the truth. But then notice, I love this, he says it doesn't stop there. That's just the first evidence of a soul set free, obedience to the truth of God. Second, a strong love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, he zeroes it down. He doesn't even go past that. He doesn't say a love for the world or a love for the, the lost and all that, because that's true. But he says, Here's an evidence that's right there for all of you as part of the body of Christ. He says, you have purified your souls by obeying the truth in order to show sincere mutual love. So love one another earnestly from a pure, fully devoted heart is what that word means. He says, you realize that one of the great commands... <laughs> One of the great truths in the Bible is to love, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But even more than that, Jesus himself says, start with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus said to his followers, a new commandment I give to you, that just as I loved you, you also ought to love one another. By this kind of love, by this quality of love, all men, he said, will know that you are my disciples when you have that kind of love for one another. See, that kind of love that you and I can have for each other as Christians is maybe one of the greatest witnesses we can ever give to those that don't know Christ. Not loving them first, in a sense, but them seeing the love that we have for one another. And that is one of the evidences of a soul being set free for, for this reason. Until you and I begin to come to grips with who God created us to be, if we don't really know who we are, if we don't really know our identity in Christ, then guess what we will do? We will spend our earthly life trying to look to other human beings to complete us rather than complement us. Amen. And when we do that, then we're not really able to selflessly and sacrificially love them because what we will do in our human relationships is we will look in our relationships to get from people rather than to give to them because we need them to make us feel good about ourselves because we don't know who we are we don't have an identity we're not secure in who God made us to be so we're always looking to other human beings to somehow put that salve on our life to make us feel better about ourselves and we, we become givers or I should say takers rather than givers Amen. That, that's why it's so important that Christians especially get to a place in our life where we know who we are and we are secure in that. That frees us up to be able to literally give ourselves to others because we're not looking for, for them to give us something that really only God can do for us. 
Only God can complete us. Another human being can't complete us. We can complement each other. We can certainly encourage each other. And love, but, but he's saying, purify your soul by obeying the truth. And through that daily obedience, you will find who God created you to be, and you will come to a place where you're so secure in who God created you to be that you won't be looking to other human beings to give you what they can't give you anyway, and you will be totally then just freed to be able to lay down your life every day for others. Because did not Jesus again say, greater love has no one than this, that a man or a woman would lay down their life for their friends. And that doesn't just mean being willing to die for someone because in a sense that would be easier than actually laying down my life every day to live for them. That's an everyday thing. And so the first evidence of a soul set free is obedience to the truth. In fact, it's through that obedience that I even discover who God created me to be, my soul. Embrace who God created me. I want it as bad as God wants me to have it and I live it out. The second evidence is the strong love I have for my fellow Christians, you see. Do we have that kind of love for each other? You know, that as a pastor of a local church, I got to tell you, there is, there's probably not many priorities that I would put above being part of a church family that truly loves each other, selflessly sacrifices for each other. Because to me, that's, that's what the church should be about. And, and what kind of an impact or influence could that kind of a group of people have on others? When we live in a world that's all about ourselves, looking out for number one, taking care of myself, using others, <laughs> loving things, how different would it be for the world and even for other Christians to see, here's a group of people that don't live that way. Here's a group of people that instead of looking out always for themselves, they actually look out for others as well. That they're totally considerate of others. That they lay down their lives every day for others. Love one another. And notice he doesn't just say love one another. He says love one another earnestly. I love that word. It means a stretched out, reaching out type of love. It was used by the Greeks to even describe muscles that are strained as they reach or stretch out for something. What a beautiful picture of God's kind of love because did not God stretch out and reach out for us while we were still sinners? Christ died for us. And I, and I could even picture when I, when I hear the fact that God's kind of love is sort of a stretched out love, does it not make you think of the cross where Jesus stretched out his arms on that cross for us, displaying his love for us? Amen. And God is saying, that's the kind of love you should have for one another, a love that is willing to be stretched and to reach and reach and reach and never come to an end straining those muscles to love. I'm just going to say this right here today because it's, it's, it's applicable. Loving 
the way God loves is not easy. <laughs> In fact, it's impossible without his help. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But there's nothing more rewarding and more fulfilling and more satisfying in this broken world than to be part of relationships where there's real love there. To be part of a church where there's real God-like love there for one another. Well, Peter gives us another one back up in verse 13. Another evidence of a soul set free is a settled mind. Not only obedience to the truth and a strong love for my fellow Christians, but a settled mind. He says, get your minds ready for action by being fully sober, setting your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Our thinking and how we think and how we process things are, is so important. And basically, Peter is saying that when God begins to set our soul free and we allow him to set our soul free, our mind has to go through a renovation process that really is a lifelong thing. You know, Paul said to the Romans, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? The renewing of our mind. God says to all of us as human beings, your mind is messed up. Sin has, has caused damage to the way you think and to your mindset and to your everyday outlook. And the Spirit of God has to come in and has to begin to renovate how we think, how we look at ourselves, how we look at others, how we look at the world, how we look at God, how we look at life and all of these different things. God has to come in and change our thinking daily. You know, this time of year, spring, a lot of people go through that whole spring cleaning thing <laughs> where they get into their garage and, you know, go through that and try to straighten things up or into their house or whatever. Hey, this is exactly what he means when he says, get your minds ready for action. He's saying, clear out the clutter in your minds and get rid of all that stuff in your thinking that doesn't line up with what God's Word said and begin to replace it with good things and begin to build your thinking and your mind back up in a proper way because you got too much stinking thinking up there and it's messing up the way you're living. Get your mind ready. ready to be able to act when God says do this and go here and do that. A lot of times people are, aren't in a, a proper mental state to be able to do anything physically. They're, they're so mentally trapped in, in very destructive uh, thinking patterns that they, they can't do what God wants them to do or even what they should do because their thinking has them trapped. He says be fully sober. We sort of know what the word sobriety means, but he's just saying, allow the voice and influence of God to primarily be your greatest influence. And again, don't allow all this junk to come in that distracts you from being able to hear God's voice and do what God is saying and even hearing the voice of God and all that. So often we allow all these other voices into our head and we can't keep them all straight. 
And then he says this, this is so important, even for us as Christians, because we fall into this trap a lot, even as Christians. He says, set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. By the way, just a side thing there, do you realize that not only does God give us grace to be saved and grace to live our life every day here, but the Bible promises that one day when Jesus Christ comes for us, there's more grace coming. I'm like, hallelujah for that. His grace doesn't stop just when we leave the planet and we go to be with him for all of eternity. He continues to pour out his grace. But here's the point for today. We talked about this hope, this confident expectation and anticipation of, of future good that God has promised to those that love him. And notice something here. He says, don't set your hope partially on Jesus' coming and all that. No, he says, set it completely on that. In other words, he's saying, here's what starts to get our thinking all messed up even as Christians. You don't need to raise your hand or answer this, but you, between you and God, can answer this in your heart. How many of you, still to this day, somehow set your hope on earthly things and earthly institutions and earthly people and all that? You, you still put your hope in these things. Somehow you still think that, that there's, you know, you're, you're putting your hope, you're, you're banking on that. Now listen. What Peter is not saying is that you and I as Christians shouldn't work to make things better, but he's saying too many Christians put their hope in earthly things, earthly institutions, earthly time here on earth, as if that's where my hope is. He says, no, don't ever put any of your hope on earth or on your earthly existence or on what happens on earth or who it happens to or what exists on earth. Don't put any of your hope here. Amen. Put it completely on the time when Jesus comes back and then things will be as they should be. Because if you and I don't do that, we will always set our minds up for disappointment, disillusionment, despair, and discouragement every time. Because no matter how great any human being is, human institution is, anything of earth, it's always set up to disappoint. Because <laughs> it will never pan out to be all that we put our hope into. So we as Christians... We need to not only obey the truth and have a strong love for one another, we need to settle things in our minds. And that's one of the evidences of a soul set free. When our mind is settled, I'll say this, our bodies are settled too. Make that connection because God built us not to compartmentalize. So in other words, and I think you understand where I'm going with this, a person who has mental struggles, and I mean just in the way we think, we're going to have physical struggles too because they're connected, you see. For instance, a person who is always anxious and filled with worry and stressed out over everything mentally, 
your body's going to start breaking down physically. See, because God didn't make us that the one doesn't affect the other. So part of why it's so important that you and I learn to settle our minds down is so that our bodies can settle down too and be at peace, if you will. Once we have this tranquility of mind, then we can also have a tranquility of body and spirit as well. Fourth, a distinctive conduct is the next evidence of a soul set free. Verse 14, 15. Like obedient children, do not comply with the evil urges you used to follow in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, become holy yourselves in all of your conduct, for it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Two phrases I want to zero in on. Verse 14, like obedient children. And then verse 15, like the Holy One. He's saying, you and I will be in the process of having our soul set free when our conduct is distinctive to everyone else's conduct. When we resemble our Heavenly Father. When, when people can see Jesus in us when there's a family resemblance there. He's using sort of a physical principle to also illustrate a spiritual principle. Just as children born to parents in some way is, is going to have some kind of physical characteristics to their parents and resemble them in some way, he's saying to Christians that the way we live our lives and conduct ourselves, there should be some resemblance to the family to who we're related to, to our Heavenly Father. There, there should be a way that people see, oh, well, that, that's, that's how God would be. In fact, that's the whole story behind how the word Christian came to be. See, I think people think that the word Christian was always a positive term, but actually in Jesus' time, being called a Christian was a derogatory thing. The first people that used that term were not Christians using it of themselves as we do today, which, can I just say, if I had my way, that's the way it would still be. Anybody can call themselves a Christian. Big deal. Because there's a lot of people who've called themselves Christians in this world who will not be going to heaven. Because, again, we can say anything. The people that were calling the people in the first century Christians were those that weren't Christians. But as they observed how they lived their lives, they basically used that term as a way to say, they remind me of that Christ, that Jesus. That's the way he talked. That, that, those were his priorities. That, that's the way he lived his life. And it was a way to describe that these people resembled him. Oh, that we would get back to that. Amen. That instead of us touting ourselves as Christians, we just lived in such a way that other people said about us, not us ourselves, you know, they're a Christian by the way they live. Amen. They remind me of Jesus. <laughs> because that's what Paul's saying. Become holy. Holy doesn't mean perfect, because we're not going to be perfect. Holy means distinctive. Again, set apart. 
And you and I will know that our soul is being set free when not only are we obeying the truth and loving one another and settling our minds, but there's a family resemblance to God in the way we live our lives. Fifth, use of our time. Look at verse 17 and 18. And if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, live out the time of your temporary residence here in reverence. You know that from your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, you were ransomed. I want to zero in on that phrase, live out the time of your temporary residence here in reverence. In a sense, Peter's saying, as the redeemed of God, we should make the most of our time for now and eternity. Appreciate the life that we've been given. Appreciate the opportunities God gives us and seize them. Seize them. Realizing that life is so short. Temporary residence. So many people today live on earth as if this is it, this is all there is. And he's saying, it's so short. It's going to come to an end and can come very abruptly. I was reminded of that again just a couple months ago when my 82-year-old mother that was actually in very good health just dropped over of a massive heart attack and went to be with Jesus just like that. One day I was talking to her on the phone. Two days later, she was in heaven with Jesus. Temporary. And can I tell you, not to scare anybody or anything, but one of the very first funerals I did as a pastor in my home state of Maryland when I first became a pastor was a 23-year-old young man who died in an accident, left a wife and a young child behind. Pretty young. But then one of my first funerals I did when I pastored in upstate New York was a 10-year-old girl who also died in an accident as well. You see, we don't know how long we've got on this earth. And Peter's saying, you and I will become soul set free when we keep eternity in mind and realize how short life is and that we make the most use of our time every day and that we live out every day and we appreciate every day and we realize that every day that God gives us is such a gift and let's make sure that we live it to its fullest because one day, he says in verse 17, you and I will give an account of our life. because our work is going to be judged. We're not judged for our salvation. We are judged for what we've done with this life that God has given us. And one who's having their soul set free realizes that every day I need to live every day as if it could be my last. I need to live every day to the fullest. And I, I've shared this with you before as a pastor. Every Sunday, every Wednesday that I speak before God's people, I think to myself, could that be my last message? Because I certainly see it from another perspective. There are many Sundays and Wednesdays where I've preached to others God's word and they haven't been here the next week. They've been going out into eternity. And so he says we've got to wrap our minds around the fact that we've got to live out this time of our temporary residence 
with respect to God and to all that he's given us. Every one of us has been given time and opportunity and talents and abilities and gifts and resources and all these things. And one day we're going to stand before God and say, here's what I did with it. <laughs> and some are going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Others, not so much. When you and I are discovering and embracing and living out who God created us to be, we will realize I need to use my time wisely. I need to stop wasting so much time on things that don't matter. Because notice that phrase in verse 18, the empty way of life. That is a way of just describing nothing of eternal value or worth. He's basically saying, how much of our lives are spent on things that in eternity, a million years from now, 10 million years from now, won't matter? He says, we as Christians especially should be zeroing in and drilling down on living a life where every day matters for eternity. Because life is so short. Even if we live to a full lifespan of 80-some years, I think now is the average age. 80 years, 85 years compared to forever? Really? We're going to put our emphasis on 85 years on earth compared to forever? See, when God begins to set our soul free, we become a lot more conscious of our time and how we're using it and what we're doing with it. And then finally, I love this. Beginning in verse 18, he says, you were ransomed not with perishable things like silver or gold by the precious, but by the precious blood like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb, namely Christ. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for your sake. Through him then, you now trust in God who raised him from the dead, gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The final evidence Peter gives us here in this passage of a soul set free are those three words in verse 21, trust in God. Not only obedience to the truth, not only loving one another, not only a settled mind, not only distinctive conduct, not only use of my time, but trust in God. Leaning all my weight on God, resting in Him, in Him. And He surrounds this with these verses about the sacrifice of Christ and the foreknowledge of our need for a Savior even before the world was created. And you're thinking, what does that have to do with motivating me and inspiring me to trust in God? I think I know a little bit, not all. I think God wants to remind us, look, first of all, if you and I are saved and we trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior, that's the greatest need you and I will ever have. The need for our Savior, the need of a soul being set free, that's the greatest need we will ever have. So he's arguing from the greater to the lesser. He's saying, if you and I can trust God to take care of my soul for all of eternity, then why do we not trust him for lesser things here on the earth? And he says, 
do you realize, and I'll use myself as an example. He said, do you realize, Jeff, that before I ever created the world, before Adam and Eve ever stepped foot on this earth, because I am God, I could look down the quarters of time and I could see that sin was going to enter the world and that the fall of man was going to happen. And that one day, Jeff, when you were born in 1961, just like every other human being, you were going to need a savior too. So guess what? I knew about you before I even created the world. And I made provision for you, Jeff Royce, that 2,000 years ago, my son would die on the cross for you even before you even knew you were going to be created. And God is saying, if I had that much forethought, if I knew about all this and made provision for you even before you as a human being could even wrap your minds around existing do you not trust me now for whatever you need? Trust in God. And I love that word right before that, now. Now. So without anybody moving around, I want us to think about something for just a moment. What is it right now, you and I need to trust God for. What is maybe the one thing right now in my life I need to rest in God for? I need to rest all of my weight on him. I need to trust him with this. Whether it's a situation, a circumstance, another person, I don't know. It could be many, many things. But what right now does something for you? What is it right now you need to trust God for? Because God wants to bring us to that point with our soul where we learn to just trust him more and more and more. And not just with some things, but to trust him in all things and with everything. So what is it right now that you and I need to trust him for? Could we stand, please, and pray? Lord, I pray today that we would make the priority of our soul really significant and important in our life. That we would start feeding our soul as much as we make sure our bodies and spirits and emotions are being fed each and every day. And God, I pray that each one of us would say, I'm committed to discovering to embracing and to living out who God created me to be more than I ever have before in my life. I'm committed to that. I want to know who God created me to be. I want to be secure in my identity in Jesus Christ. And I want to make that the priority of my life, however that looks. God, would you help us all to sort of bring a, a resolve to our life? to not get caught up in things that won't matter in eternity, 
but to live every day for what is of greatest value and greatest worth. And there could be no greater worth or value to each of us individually than knowing God created a soul within us with purpose and plans and desires that he had for us. And he wants us to discover it and live it out every day. Would we make that a priority in our life today, God? These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, before we sing this last song, In that verse where Peter says, trust in God, that's one of the last evidences of a soul set free. I don't want you to miss, and I know we don't, you're not looking at your Bible, so you gotta trust me with this, but you can go back and look. It says, through him, you now trust in God. Through who? Through Jesus. The only way you and I can truly trust God is through Jesus. In other words, relying and depending on him to help us to trust in God. In fact, the only way you and I can obey the truth, the only way you and I can love each other as we should love, the only way we can have a settled mind, the only way we can have distinctive conduct, the only way we can use our time wisely is through Christ. We cannot do it on our own. It's through Jesus. That's why Paul said, I can do all things through who? Through him who strengthens me. So not only do we need to prioritize our soul today, but we also need to say and acknowledge, God, I need to partner with you every day like never before. Because it's the only way I will be able to live out who you created me to be. Apart from you, I can't do it. And even Jesus said that. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can't do it. So Jesus is saying to us today, take me by the hand. Through me, realize you can do it all if you hold me by the hand and let me guide you and take you with us. So as we sing this last song, in Christ alone, let's make this a declaration not only of us individually, but let's make this as a declaration of our church that we, the Oasis Church, will make sure that as we march forward in this world, as long as God gives us the time, that we will prioritize our souls and that we will partner with Christ every day knowing that without him, we cannot do it alone. Let's sing it unto the Lord this morning.